This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Actively Seeking Revelation. In the first half, Kevin J. Worthen shares his address, Receiving Revelation. Then in the second half, Charles A. Didier speaks on Our Spiritual and Temporal Foundation, Scriptures and Revelation. This is an exciting time to be at BYU. It's the beginning of a new semester. The women's volleyball team is ranked number one, and no one of you is more than a week behind in your classes. (laughs) If we keep those two things in the same order, we'll be doing well this semester. It's also a time when there is much of significance happening in the world and in the Church. The inspired changes in priesthood quorums and the new emphasis on ministering announced at April General Conference provide ample evidence that Revelation is thriving in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and that the Lord is hastening His work. President Nelson seemed to forecast that even greater things are in store for us when at the Sunday morning session of conference he declared, Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of His mightiest works between now and when He comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ preside over this Church in majesty and glory. The fact that you are here on earth at this stage of its history is a compliment to you and your potential. As President Nelson recently observed, there is something undeniably special about this generation of youth. Your Heavenly Father must have great confidence in you to send you to earth at this time. You were born for greatness. The days ahead will be breathtaking. Father in heaven must have known that you would be just the people he needs to do remarkable things in the latter days, the days leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But with that exciting celestial vote of confidence comes a prophetic challenge. Following his declaration that Christ will perform some of his mightiest works in our day, President Nelson added an equally thrilling warning and then later an invitation. In coming days, he said, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. In that same Sunday morning talk, President Nelson underscored the need for us to receive revelation. If we are to have any hope of sifting through the myriad of voices and the philosophies of men that attract truth, he said, we must learn to receive revelation. At the end of his remarks, he added this urgent invitation. My beloved brothers and sisters, I plead with you to increase your spiritual capacity to receive revelation. Choose to do the spiritual work required to enjoy the gift of the Holy Ghost and hear the voice of the Spirit more frequently and more clearly. This prophetic charge to increase our ability to learn by revelation is consistent with our recent university emphasis on inspiring learning. Over the last two years, we have used the term inspiring learning to summarize what we hope happens to you at BYU. Inspiring is both a noun, or really a gerund, which describes the act of motivating someone to do something, and it is also an adjective describing a type of learning, learning that leads to inspiration or revelation. Thus, when we talk about inspiring learning, we are describing our hope that you will both be inspired or motivated to learn and that that learning will lead to inspiration or revelation. Our goal of inspiring learning, together with President Nelson's prophetic admonition, makes clear that your success at BYU in this year and the coming years, 
And more importantly, your eternal destiny will depend in large part on your ability to receive, recognize, and respond to revelation. Now, I must confess that when I was about your age, admonitions about the need to receive revelation intimidated and, quite frankly, worried me more than a little bit. While some of my acquaintances would share stories about how the Spirit had given them specific directions in dramatic ways, I couldn't readily recall any such personal experiences. I started wondering whether I was missing something. I began to imagine that I would get up to the judgment bar and God would say to me, I tried to tell you what you needed to do in life on such and such a date, and again on another such a date, and you just missed it. That feeling was compounded a bit during my mission when I had one particular companion who genuinely had a gift for knowing where to go to find people who were ready to accept the gospel. When tracting, I would usually simply begin on the first street and go from one house to the next in a perfectly orderly fashion. He, on the other hand, would feel impressed to skip houses or or entire streets because he felt impressed that someone way down the line had been prepared to listen to us. And more often than not, he was right. But I rarely, if ever, felt such promptings. Thus, for much of my youth and young adulthood, I wondered if I had been born spiritually tone-deaf. If you have ever found yourself feeling that way, and especially if you feel that way now, I want to speak to you particularly today, because as President Nelson made clear, much of what we are to accomplish, both individually and as a university and a church, depends on our ability to refine our spiritual hearing. Let me first assure you that none of us is spiritually tone-deaf. Because all of us are literal spirit children of perfect heavenly parents, each of us has the innate potential to receive and recognize revelation. As Joseph Smith once observed, it is the privilege of the children of God to come to God and get revelation. God is not a respecter of persons. We all have the same privilege. Moreover, God does not arbitrarily give us a limited number of specific chances to receive revelation and then judge us eternally on how we did in those particular moments. There is, thankfully, no one-time, single-question, high-stakes final exam on receiving revelation. God is infinitely more patient, infinitely more loving, and infinitely more anxious for us to succeed than that. He will give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be guided by Him. His deepest desire is to help us develop our innate capacity to receive revelation. President Nelson shared that good news with us in his conference message, quoting in part from the Doctrine and Covenants. Does God really want to speak to you? Yes. As well might man stretch forth his puny arm to stop the Missouri River in its decreed course as to hinder the Almighty from pouring down knowledge from heaven upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints. But there is even more good news for those who question their ability to receive and recognize revelation despite their sincere but often seemingly ineffective efforts to do so. It is that you are likely doing better at receiving revelation than you think. The scriptures make clear that it is possible to be influenced by the Holy Ghost and not fully recognize it. Speaking of the Lamanites who had embraced the gospel prior to the resurrected Christ's visit to ancient America— The Lord said, Because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, they were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. These saints received the Holy Ghost, which the prophet Joseph said is always accompanied by revelation, but they did not realize it. 
They had been received, they had received and been influenced by revelation, but they knew it not. A similar thing happened to Oliver Cowdery, who received a witness before he met Joseph Smith that Joseph's message was true. However, he later questioned whether that was the case and sought another revelation. The Lord's reassuring response found in section 6 of the Doctrine and Covenants was, as Elder David A. Bednar once explained, a revelation informing Oliver that he had been receiving revelation. Elder Bednar continued, Apparently Oliver had not recognized how and when he had been receiving direction from God and needed this instruction to increase his understanding about the spirit of revelation. Thus, we can receive and be influenced by revelation without fully recognizing it. I believe that happens more often than we think and that, therefore, we are better at the process than we might initially suppose. Elder Bednar has provided one explanation of why this can happen. He likened the experience of receiving revelation to two different ways we experience the physical transition from dark to light. The first experience occurs, he said, when we enter a dark room and turn on a light switch. In an instant, a bright flood of illumination fills the room and causes the darkness to disappear. The second experience, Elder Bednar continued, occurs when we watch night turn into morning. In contrast to turning on a light in a dark room, the light from the rising sun does not immediately burst forth. Rather, gradually and steadily, the intensity of the light increases, and the darkness of night is replaced by the radiance of morning. Eventually, the sun does dawn over the skyline. Elder Bednar then explained how these two experiences relate to the receipt of revelation. A light turned on in a dark room, he said, is like receiving a message from God quickly, completely, and all at once. Descriptions of such immediate and intense manifestations are found in the scriptures, recounted in Church history, and evidenced in our own lives. However, Elder Bednar continued, this pattern of revelation tends to be more rare than common. By contrast, Elder Bednar explained, the gradual increase of light radiating from the rising sun is like receiving a message from God, line upon line, precept upon precept. Such communications from Heavenly Father gradually and gently distill upon our souls as the dews from heaven. And then he concluded, This pattern of revelation tends to be more common than rare. My experience has been similar to that of Elder Bednar, in that the latter, more subtle, line-upon-line revelation is more common than the more dramatic, immediate kind of revelation, and that this causes us to unnecessarily question our ability to receive revelation. As Elder Bednar explained, I have talked with many individuals who question the strength of their personal testimony and underestimate their spiritual capacity because they do not receive frequent, miraculous, or strong impressions. Perhaps as we consider the experiences of Joseph in the sacred grove, of Saul on the road to Damascus, and of Alma the Younger, we come to believe something is wrong with or lacking in us if we fall short in our lives of these well-known and spiritually striking examples. If you have had similar thoughts or doubts, please know that you are quite normal. Just keep pressing forward obediently and with faith in the Savior. As you do so, you cannot go amiss. The effects of this more common type of line-by-line revelation, though less obvious, are nonetheless equally powerful. President Joseph F. Smith once stated, As a boy, I would frequently ask the Lord to show me some marvelous thing in order that I might receive a testimony. But the Lord withheld marvels from me and showed me the truth line upon line, 
until he made me to know the truth from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, and until doubt and fear had been absolutely purged from me. So take heart. You are likely doing better than you think. I urge you in that regard to take some time in the coming week to ponder and reflect on times when you may have received revelation, times when you were influenced by the Holy Ghost and may not have fully recognized it. Then I would urge you to record those events. This will not only make you more aware of inspired messages you have received, it will increase your confidence that you can receive further revelation. Still. Even if we are doing better than we think, President Nelson's challenge and our goal of inspiring learning is to improve our ability to receive and recognize revelation. In President Nelson's words, to increase our spiritual capacity to receive revelation and to enjoy the gift of the Holy Ghost and hear the voice of the Spirit more frequently and more clearly. Thus, if it is true that many of us are doing better than we think, it is equally true that all of us need to do better regardless of our current level of performance. There are a number of things we can do to meet President Nelson's charge to increase our ability to receive revelation. Let me suggest just a few. We can increase our ability to receive and recognize revelation by understanding the principles and implications of the revelatory process set forth in Doctrine and Covenants section 8. We are all familiar with the key verses where the Lord describes this process to Oliver Cowdery. Yea, behold, he said, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. There are several key principles contained in this brief description. Among them is that revelation is an experience that involves both our hearts and our minds, which I believe symbolically represent our spirit and our body. We can improve our ability to receive revelation if we better prepare both our spirits and bodies for such experiences. Spiritual preparation includes daily scripture study, daily prayer, keeping the commandments, sacrament meeting attendance, Sabbath day observance, and regular temple worship. These are all familiar tasks that we are regularly counseled to attend to. I hope, however, that repetition does not cause us to undervalue the significance of these actions. We repeatedly emphasize such spiritually enhancing activities because they are so important. As President Nelson explained, nothing opens the heavens quite like the combination of increased purity, exact obedience, earnest seeking, daily feasting on the words of Christ in the Book of Mormon, and regular time committed to temple and family history work. Spiritual preparation facilitates revelation. We talk less about physical preparation to receive revelation, but it is also important. As President Boyd K. Packer once observed, what you learn spiritually depends to a degree on how you treat your body. That is why the Word of Wisdom is so important. We hear stories about how adherence to the Word of Wisdom leads to the promised physical blessing that we will run and not be weary and walk and not faint. However, I believe we don't often enough focus on the at least equally important spiritual blessing promised those who adhere to its precepts, that they will find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, which many of which are accessed by revelation. Discovery of such hidden treasures through revelation is exactly the kind of inspiring learning we hope each of you frequently experience at BYU. In addition to adhering to the principles of physical health outlined in the 89th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, we can increase our capacity to receive and recognize revelation 
by following the admonition the Lord provided in the immediately preceding section. Retire to thy bed early, that ye may not be weary. Arise early, that your bodies and your minds may be invigorated. I know you're saying, really? Candor requires that I admit that when I was in college, I did not consider myself a morning person. I never took a class earlier than 9 a.m. because any time before that seemed way too early. But over time, I have come to find that early morning time is sacred, a time when few people interrupt and, more importantly, my mind is more open and invigorated or alive to new ideas and spiritual impressions. I have learned to keep a notepad by my bedside as thoughts and ideas often come early in the morning and to make scripture study and prayer my first order of morning business. I urge you to consider the same. In addition to clarifying the spiritual and physical aspects of Revelation, the description in the eighth section also highlights that, as Elder Bednar explained, the spirit of Revelation typically functions as thoughts and feelings that come into our minds and hearts by the power of the Holy Ghost. President Packer similarly observed, Perhaps the single greatest thing I learned from reading the Book of Mormon is that the voice of the Spirit comes as a feeling rather than a sound. You will learn, as I have learned, to listen for that voice that is felt rather than heard. Set aside time and space when you can focus on being open to those thoughts and feelings. Turn off the music. Pause Netflix. Take out your earbuds. Find time to listen to your feelings. Now you may wonder how to adequately discern whether such feelings are from God or merely your own internal thoughts and wishes. That's a topic worthy of greater time than we have today, but let me make two observations. First, as in so many aspects of our mortal existence, we can learn from our own experience how to make such distinctions if we pay attention. The Prophet Joseph Smith once stated, A person may profit by noticing the first intimation of the spirit of revelation. For instance, when you feel pure intelligence flowing into you, it may give you sudden strokes of ideas so that by noticing it, you may find it fulfilled the same day or soon. That is, those things that were presented unto your minds by the Spirit of God will come to pass. And thus, by learning the Spirit of God and understanding it, you may grow into the principle of revelation until you become perfect in Christ Jesus. Part of the purpose of our mortal life is to help us learn from our own experiences— This principle applies to our ability to receive and recognize revelation. Second, when we feel impressed to do something good for someone else, there is little need to deliberate about the source of the feeling. The ancient prophet Mormon made clear that such promptings are always from the Lord. That which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, he said, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve Him is inspired of God. Never suppress a feeling to help others. It is among the clearest forms of revelation. Moreover, such generous acts often facilitate further revelation. As President Eyring recently observed, we receive the Holy Spirit best when we are focused on serving others. There are other things we can do to enhance our ability to receive revelation, including expanding our understanding of the truth that revelation comes in the manner and timing that God determines. We need to recognize that His goal is not just to give us instruction, but to help us become like Him. At times, this perfecting process requires that we work harder, study things out more, and even act when we are not 100 percent sure that we are right. As President Nelson once observed, 
revelation comes at the frontier of knowledge and experience. We will often need to stretch our souls beyond what we think is possible before revelation comes. As Oliver Cowdery learned, it is not merely a matter of asking. Answers may be slow in coming, not because we are doing something wrong, but because Heavenly Father is leaving it up to our agency, or because He has already given us the answer and wants us to learn how that prior answer came, or because we need to learn something more before the answer makes sense to us. But please know that even in those times when the heavens seem silent, there are explanations that will become clear over time if we will but trust God. As Elder Richard G. Scott once explained, What do you do when you have prepared carefully, have prayed fervently, waited a reasonable time for a response, and still do not feel an answer? When you need to act, proceed with trust. As you are sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit, one of two things will certainly occur at the appropriate time. Either the stupor of thought will come, indicating an improper choice, or the peace or the burning in the bosom will be felt, confirming that your choice was correct. When you are living righteously and are acting with trust, God will not let you proceed too far without a warning impression if you have made the wrong decision. In the end, the one thing we can do to increase our ability to receive revelation is to trust God more, to increase our faith in Him. As President Nelson observed, the most important truth the Holy Ghost will ever witness to you is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Revelation will increase as we focus more on Christ, as we follow His direction to look unto Him in every thought. As we do so, He will, in His own time and own way, bless us with revelation that will lead to not only inspiring learning but also eternal exaltation. I witness that He lives and that this promise is sure, and I do so in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Actively Seeking Revelation. We've just heard from Kevin J. Worthen. After the break, we'll return with Charles A. Didier for our Spiritual and Temporal Foundation, Scriptures and Revelation. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Actively Seeking Revelation. Next is Charles A. Didier, a member of the Presidency of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled Our Spiritual and Temporal Foundation, Scriptures and Revelation. Thank you for being here this morning. This is a cool morning. And we hope that this devotional is going to help you to warm up a little bit this morning. Any listening to a talk or any reading of a book starts with an introduction. As you may be familiar with the Book of Mormon and particularly the first verse, may I personalize its introduction in this way. I, Charles Didier, was born in Belgium and paraphrasing Nephi of goodly parents. Alas, the similitude stops there. I was not taught somewhat in all the learning of my father and in the knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God. Therefore, I would like to share with you today a short record of my proceedings in my early days as a student in that country. 
And it came to pass that I was blessed by the Lord because of my faith in Jesus Christ. For I sought him diligently with lowliness of heart. And later I was also led to this land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands. And here I am addressing you at BYU Provo, USA, the university which is, by the way, also choice above all other universities. I hope President Samuelson will like this. <laughs> I started my student life by attending the University of Liège in Belgium, and at that time made two of the most important decisions regarding my temporal and also my spiritual future. One was about a temporal career by choosing the School of Economics, the other about a spiritual career by deciding to be baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The university that I attended was secular, an institution of higher learning but without the benefits of spiritual devotionals or even inspirational talks given by Church leaders or academic and prominent personalities as you have. Sporting or social events or athletic programs did not exist and were not part of the curriculum. That was a blessing, by the way. <laughs> Everything was focused on learning and acquiring secular knowledge to prepare for a temporal career. There was no code of honor. There was never any mention of religion or service. There were no members of the Church around. I was the only member in the whole university. It seemed that spiritual matters had no place in that environment. I had to find a spiritual aspect of my life in a different environment, the Church. At that time, there were about 150 members in our small district. We were a real minority among 10 million people, a rare species. Spiritual and temporal survival was a constant struggle. As students, we were a generation coming out of World War II to face the challenges and events of the future and to prepare a better world in the midst of the Korean War and the so-called Cold War. Communism was the new threat instead of fascism. We were left to ourselves to make crucial choices about our future with little help from anyone. It was a special time when you had to learn about what and how to think, about what to expect and how to hope. It was all about making right choices. And so graduation was the major preoccupation and hope, the expected end result, but the chances to achieve this were slim. We started with a class of 100 students in that four-year cycle, but only 25 graduated out of that group. It was during those challenging years that I learned that the source of true knowledge was not just secular knowledge. Another dimension needed to be added, spiritual knowledge as a foundation. That came as the result of a personal quest, an exercise of faith, seeking diligently to preserve and defend the truth of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scriptures and revelation representing true doctrine 
became my spiritual and temporal foundation. Quote, Seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning, even by study, and also by faith. The answer then determined the various roles that I would play in society. This very short record of my student approach to life notably represents quite a contrast with your life and your attendance at this church institution, BYU, where the purpose of entering and leaving this school is so obviously portrayed by the words, quote, enter to learn, go forth to serve, end of quote. These words represent a vision of what is expected and what is hoped for. President Gordon B. Hinckley emphasized this vision by saying, quote, I encourage everyone to make this your motto, end of quote. President Samuelson, in his first impressions as your president, said, quote, I would hope that the students will leave BYU with the ability and capacity to think and be comfortable that they know how to think. I also hope that they will recognize that even in a world of uncertainties, there are some fundamental and basic values that will always prevail, even though there will be changes in the environment in which they will need to adapt." End of quote. What is the difference between my situation of the past and yours of the present as an individual? It is that fundamental spiritual and moral values were not part of the university curriculum. This was left for the students to explore if they had such inclination. It rarely happened. Our motto could have been stated, enter to learn, go forth to serve yourself. Today the world is still in commotion with the new threat of terrorism. Confusion about moral standards has widened, and the decline and retreat of human values has accelerated as witnessed by the media. A new culture promoting the ethic of self-satisfaction, eliminating moral rules and replacing them by our own pleasing rules, is the new fashion. Your challenge to become the next leadership generation that will write or participate in finding the solutions facing these issues is very similar to past generations. As church and university leaders, we are here to help you in this spiritual thinking process. You are not left alone to go forth tomorrow to serve. We're entering an era of the history of the world where we are now exactly where the prophets warned we would be. The Apostle Paul prophesied word by word, phrase by phrase, describing exactly our present situation. Quote, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and thankful unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, 
lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they that which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away by divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Is there a solution to this dark description of our times? There is. It is to build our spiritual and temporal foundation upon scriptures and revelation. It is to learn how to oppose the world's evil trends. By doing so, you will be affecting your personal life, your environment, and namely now this university and the role you play in it. The kind of role, right or wrong, played by the individual in the society or any institution is of utmost importance. It determines the future of that society or institution. For example, just remember the role played by former President Ronald Reagan in the liberation of oppressed people. The greatest compliment that could be given to him was that he did not play the role of the president of this nation. He acted as a president who knew what his role was, the president of a nation that had strong beliefs in freedom as a true principle. He had the notion, he understood the concept of the nation, of what the United States represent in the world, the symbol of freedom. President George W. Bush eulogized him with these words, quote, He believed that America was not just a place in the world, but the hope of the world, end of quote. And that happens because of the beliefs and subsequent behavior of people. Another great statesman from France, Aristide Briand, Nobel Prize winner and one of the animators of the League of Nations, precursor of the Organization of the United Nations of today, said, quote, The institutions are worth what the individuals are worth. End of quote. A prophet, Gordon B. Hinckley, wrote, quote, Reformation of the world begins with reformation of self. End of quote. And so by the same analogy, it could be said that the worth or the value of this institution, BYU, depends upon the worth of its students. This worth, the personal and moral value of the student, will rise or decline according to his or her belief in the true principles and doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Belief affects who an individual is. Faith determines the behavior and action. This is the spiritual side of your life as a student. Brigham Young said, quote, There is neither man or woman in this church who is not on a mission. That mission will last as long as they live, and it is to do good, to promote righteousness, to teach the principles of truth, and to prevail upon themselves and everybody around them to live those principles that they may obtain eternal life." End of quote. Being on a mission as a believer in Christ 
and acting on the knowledge that it is true makes a difference in our society and in the church. The Lord himself emphasized this very principle saying, quote, This is my church, and I will establish it, and nothing shall overthrow it, save it is the transgression of my people, end of quote. The combination of the spiritual and temporal aspects of your life is essential and cannot be divided according to circumstances or the environment. How do you perceive your role as students in this BYU institution? You're not only to be responsible university students, the temporal aspect, but are also to be responsible members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the spiritual aspect. These two responsibilities cannot be dissociated to satisfy egocentric needs or wants as the world tempts you to do. Your question now should be, what can I do today to improve the world of tomorrow? And your answer now should be that you will make choices that correspond to these two fundamental responsibilities. Choices are made thanks to the use of your agency. Your future, temporal or spiritual, is a result of righteous choices based on thinking about the value of that agency. Example, by a show of hands, how many of you have planned to graduate academically from this university and graduate spiritually from the church? I don't see any volunteers. A few. By the same token, how many of you have planned to fail to graduate academically and spiritually? And suddenly I see no hands. No volunteers? Did you notice that I used the word planned in my question? You will succeed by planning or fail by lack of planning or indifference in your life. You will succeed by making right choices or fail by making unrighteous choices or by indecision. Success is always a result of unlimited attention to a purpose. Your purpose must be to create literally your plan of salvation, temporally and spiritually. Your failure will be a result of not having such a plan or not practicing what you planned. Remember that faith without works is dead. Life planning. What you would like your life to be depends on the principles in which you believe in your faith, in what you believe should be your place in the world. How do you plant the seeds of righteous beliefs in your mind and in your heart? How will you make righteous decisions affecting your behavior if you do not have that foundation? That's why President Boyd K. Packer, when talking to the mission presidents about missionaries' conduct, said, quote, Teach them doctrine the principles, the beliefs, the study of doctrine will change behavior more quickly, more permanently than the study of behavior will. The scriptures are rich with information and inspiration about discipline. 
You, talking to the mission presence, must learn, and they, the missionaries, must learn what the revelations say about conduct. If you visit the scriptures only in time of emergency, you may miss the very verse that will tell you plainly what to do against a very serious challenge. Your guide as to handling problems of discipline is found in the revelations. That is your book of principles and your book of law. End of quote. The Apostle Paul taught this very basic truth 2,000 years ago when he said, quote, All scripture is given by inspiration of God for instruction in righteousness. End of quote. Both apostles use the same words, inspiration or revelation as the source of true knowledge. Let us experiment for a brief moment this teaching of making right choices based on a belief in a righteous principle. What about what to wear, clothing or physical appearance on this campus or in other circumstances? Does it matter? Or does it make a difference in your behavior and the influence in your environment if you wear baggy or immodest clothes or torn or tattered jeans? Does it really apply to you what I read in the honor code about modesty? Quote, modesty and cleanliness are important values that reflect personal dignity and integrity through which students, staff, and faculty represent the principles and standards of the Church." End of quote. I cannot resist. Quoting from one of your professors, S. Neil Rasband, stating that what you wear affects the educational environment. Quote, Wearing torn or tattered jeans simply suggests that someone is unable to distinguish between being engaged with intellectual challenges and working on the welfare farm. They are dressed for barn work, not for brain work. End of quote. He concluded with these words. Next time you are tempted to wear something that is too casual or inappropriate to class, think of what you are communicating to yourself and others. Think about the attitudes and manners you are adopting by wearing it. Think about the effect it will have on your learning and your learning environment. Then ask yourself, do I really want to wear this? End of quote. Once again, our opinion about the way we dress depends on our beliefs, on our principles, and how well we will make choices in agreement with those principles. The same choices about what is right and what is wrong may also apply to language, tattoos, body piercing, pornography, transgression, whatever you have to consider in your daily life. Key indicators will help you in the decision process. They are learning doctrine and principles from the scriptures and revelation, and then thinking, asking, deciding, and answering about your choices. Yes, life is made of daily problems but also of daily solutions. 
The solutions of problems are always found in the resources that are available to us and that come from a loving God. He gives us divine knowledge about our nature and our destiny. He gives us answers about our behavior, what to do. Example, the prophet Micah teaching, quote, What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? End of quote. It always comes by revelation, and revelation becomes reality in our lives when we put it into action in our lives to become a testimony. A testimony is the assurance of the reality, the truth, that comes by divine personal confirmation from the Holy Ghost. That personal revelation is usually the confirmation in your mind of what you already know in your heart. Quoting Elder Henry B. Eyring, quote, The words of God in pure doctrine go down deep in the heart by the power of the Holy Ghost. End of quote. However, there is an opposition in all things, as we may have learned not only from the scriptures, but also by personal and painful experience. Jacob, in the Book of Mormon, was teaching this principle and some others for our profit and our learning. He was also teaching about freedom, saying that we are free forever, knowing good from evil to act for ourselves, not to be acted upon, free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. The opposition is not always to be found only in the world. It may be found among good friends, even returned missionaries. Individual freedom to think, to speak, or to act is so easily misunderstood in our day, meaning abol abolition of rules or elimination of codes. Obedience, a test of humility, remember to walk humbly with the Lord, helps us to understand what is right in the eyes of the Lord. The proper role of a disciple of Christ is determined by Christ, not by us. When he said, What manner of men ought ye to be? And answering, Verily I say unto you, Even as I am. So if we accept the notion that our behavior is a result of our beliefs and principles, and that this behavior will not only affect us, but also others in our environment, we also now need to accept that this belief must be centered in the great mediator, meaning Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior and Redeemer. We need also to recognize that the principles and the doctrine to guide us are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where the how, when, what, where, who questions about this life and the next are answered. The challenge is that as we learn to conquer this freedom to act for ourselves, we're also tempted to try to escape it for fear of being rejected 
by others. For example, are we not tempted at times, voluntary or not, to escape the consequences of our spiritual choices and hide from the responsibility that is ours because of the covenants that we made in the wards of baptisms and renewed by partaking of the sacrament that we would always remember Jesus Christ and his atonement? Don't some try to escape the duty of marriage as ordained from God and replace it by a worldly substitute called cohabitation or by not even considering marriage? Is it unusual today for some others to escape the principles directing the union of a man and a woman called marriage by accepting alternative lifestyles? What about the escape of the sanctity of marriage and its eternal nature by finding an easy exit called divorce? What is your thinking about the escape of the purpose of marriage, procreation, the principle to form eternal families of our own by forsaking the plan of our Heavenly Father? This is why, again, it is so important not just to know who you are, but who you can become, not just to exist, but to know how to live, not just to hope, but to achieve, not just to dream, but to realize. My life as a church leader has been profoundly influenced by these simple words of President Spencer W. Kimball when he said, Do it. Do it now. Do it right. By revelation, we know that this life is the time for us to prepare to meet God to perform our labors. It is also revealed that we will be proved to see if we will do all things whatsoever the Lord our God will command us. Thus, choices based upon divine knowledge, divine beliefs, and divine principles and doctrine become essential for our temporal and spiritual salvation, but especially for our happiness. Happiness during your student life or after will be a result of your spiritual choices. It is a personal task. It cannot be delegated. Someone a few years ago said, quote, If you have a happy life, it's not because you found it that way. It is because you made it that way, end of quote. If you know the way, then you can invite others to follow you. If you know the truth, then you can share it. If you know the doctrine and the principles, then you will live in harmony with the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you will become a light and give worth to your life. Scriptures and Revelation not only teaches the doctrine of the reality of God and our role in His plan of salvation, but also the need to understand this doctrine. Strangely enough, some of the great thinkers of our time discovered the same principle as they tried to find a reason for our existence and the final end of it. One of them was Jean-Jacques Rousseau, a philosopher of France, of the 18th century. Orphan of his mother, abandoned by his father at age 10, raised by a good lady, 
he was virtually self-educated. All of his principles of philosophy rested on the quest of listening to his conscience, his soul. Wouldn't we call this the light of Christ today? Preoccupied by the search for happiness and the destiny of the human being, he said that this search had to go far beyond the temporal to reach the spiritual or supernatural. He wrote in the preface of his second discourse, quoting a verse from the Latin author Peirce, Men, learn what God wants you to be. Scriptures and Revelation teach us the doctrine of the purpose of life, what God offers us to be and to become. It is centered on Jesus Christ's words, This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The scripture helps us to have a spiritual long-term vision of the world and our role in it. It gives us hope. On the contrary, if we look at the doctrine of the purpose of life according to the world, we will find a life centered on the fulfillment of the self. This will not help us but give us only a limited short-term vision of the world and our role in it. Righteous principles are being replaced by fake principles centered on enjoying life and the culture of hedonism with sexual pleasure, easy money by cheating, gambling or lottery, addictions and the satisfaction of carnal urges. It invites to intellectual and moral laziness, to immoralism, summarized in one sentence during the 68 intellectual revolution in France and on U.S. campuses. Quote, it is forbidden to forbid. End of quote. It does not give hope. It creates despair and leads to destruction, as this life always ends rapidly and inevitably in the bottom of a pit where the exit too often is suicide. Scriptures and Revelation teach us this very doctrine of the hope in the atonement of Jesus Christ and tells us about our divine nature and our divine destiny. As children of our Heavenly Father, we were created with hope within ourselves, with the light of Christ, with a divine potential. Physical death is not an end, therefore. It is only the beginning. It is a transfer of existence, of mortal life to immortal life, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the reality of the possibility of reaching our final destination, to live in the presence of our Heavenly Father, because of the Atonement of Jesus Christ, liberating us from spiritual death and to transform the natural man into a spiritual man. Scriptures and Revelation help us to understand the vital role that we have in this world because we have received true knowledge through living prophets. In Scriptures and Revelation we find power, the meaning of life, how to keep a spiritual life by not replacing church by supermarket, for example. We're back where we started. We live in perilous times, 
as declared by the prophets. Mormon, in his final words, said, quote, I speak unto you as if you were present, and yet you're not. End of quote. His son Moroni summarized this testimony this way, quote, My son, be faithful in Christ, and may not the things which I have written grieve thee, to weigh thee down unto death, but may Christ live thee up, and may his sufferings and death, and the showing his body unto our fathers, and his mercy and long-suffering, and the hope of his glory and of eternal life, rest in your mind forever. Your belief in Jesus Christ, in the principles of the doctrine of his gospel, as a foundation to the secular knowledge that you are receiving here, will be the determining factor deciding your future role in this institution today and tomorrow in the world. May I conclude with my personal testimony of the scriptures and revelation and confirm that Jesus is the Christ, that he is my rock and my foundation in my life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Actively Seeking Revelation with thoughts from Kevin J. Worthen and Charles A. Didier. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.